Well, for the past um, several weeks during this season of Lent, we have been examining some of the words and actions that took place between Jesus and his disciples on the night before his death. And Jesus knew that his time was short. He was fully aware that he had less than 24 hours to live. And so the words that he speaks to his disciples on this night are extremely significant. And right now, within the church calendar, we are less than two weeks away from observing the sorrow of what Christ went through on Good Friday through his death. And so as we continue today, just keep in mind the agony and the pain that must have been going on in Jesus' heart during these final moments with his disciples as his death drew near. So let's go ahead and just dive into scripture. Please open up your Bibles to John 15, 26. It should be page 983 if you're using a pew Bible. John 15, starting in verse 26. It says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So after taking time to tell his disciples, as we talked about last week, that he is the vine and they are the branches, Jesus now turns his attention to discussing the work of the Holy Spirit. And before we continue, I have a confession to make. I have known um, what my topic was going to be this Sunday for about the last five or six weeks. And if I could be honest, I was not looking forward to today. It's a little hard for me to be up here. I'm doing better, but I was kind of dreading this message. And the reason why I was fearful and dreading this message is because the Holy Spirit is often difficult for me to understand. 
And I know it can be difficult for some of you as well because we've had those talks. The Holy Spirit is just sometimes hard to wrap our minds around. I mean, we can kind of picture God the Father, right? The creator of the universe sitting on his throne in heaven. We have a somewhat of a picture of that. We can picture God the Son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and blood, walked among us. His life is documented in great detail in the Bible. But God the Spirit, that is a little more difficult to comprehend. And then we have older Bible translations that use the word ghost instead of spirit. And that probably doesn't help a lot of us. And then on top of that, our society has all these movies out right now recently about ghosts and spirit, right? Casper the ghost, paranormal activity, which freaked me out. That's the one that made me go home and tape. I had to duct tape my curtains to the window so nobody would be creeping in on me, right? All these movies. So even our society has just kind of warped our view of what we think of spirit and ghosts and all that. So it's affected our ability to clearly understand the Holy Spirit and what his role is in our lives. So all these things combined made me a little uneasy to be up here this morning. But I had an awakening. And my awakening took place um, earlier this week. I was outside on my front sidewalk letting our two little Maltese puppies out to go potty. I was just staring at my neighbor's tree and God just spoke to me just spoke to my heart and just said, you don't need to be afraid of this. The Spirit is like the greatest gift that I have given you and my people. Do you have no reason to be fearful of teaching on this topic? So here I am today, and I tell you all that. So if you've ever felt confused about the Holy Spirit, I tell you all that to know that you're not alone. This one can be difficult to wrap our minds around. And so my hope today is to help us just better understand the magnitude of what we've actually been given in Christ through his spirit. So if the Holy Spirit has ever been foggy to you, then listen up because Holy Spirit 101 is happening right now at Wellspring. (laughs) Class is in session. The spirit of God is referred to over 800 times throughout the Bible. 800 times. Even in the second verse of Scripture, we find the Spirit of God mentioned. It says, The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit is a big deal. There's no way around it. He cannot and will not be overlooked or ignored. And the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, I know some of you are definitely familiar with it, attests to the belief that there's only one God who has and always will exist in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And theologian Millard Erickson wrote this. He said, The Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. The Holy Spirit is active within the lives of believers. He is resident within us. The Spirit is able to affect one intensely because dwelling within, he can get to the very center of one's thinking and emotions and lead one into all truth as Jesus promised. And there is no better person for us to learn from about the Holy Spirit than Jesus himself. So we're going to put up a few passages up on the slides 
just to show you what Jesus taught about. And these sayings only took place in the upper room on this final night. So just in one night, this is what he left his disciples with. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then finally, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, there are a couple words in those passages that Jesus keeps repeating. The one I want to talk about for a little bit is that word advocate. Jesus refers to the Spirit as our advocate three different times, meaning that the Spirit supports us, loves us, and is for us. I was doing some research. One dictionary even defined that word to mean champion. I thought that was pretty cool. The Holy Spirit is our champion. He fights for us. He helps us prepare for the battles that we're going to face. He gives us the strength to make it through those battles, and he desires only the best for us. And two weeks ago, Bob talked about how we already have an advocate in God the Father, right? Who created us and loves us. And we have an advocate in his son Jesus who is about to lay his life down on our behalf. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you guys a third advocate to help you. And this third advocate takes things to a whole new level. He takes things to an entirely different level. In John 14, 17, it was one of the verses up there. Jesus says the Spirit will not just be with you, but in you. He told his disciples that after his death, resurrection, and ascension, God would take up residence in our hearts. We know it says that God the Father and the Son will make their home inside our hearts. So quite literally, this is... Hard to grasp. Quite literally, we are the temple of the living God. God dwells inside of us. Try to wrap your mind around that rationally. We can't because it is miraculous. And so maybe you're thinking, okay, that, that's cool, Justin. But what does that look like, dude? Bro? What does that look like for the Spirit to dwell in me? I, I'm, I'm not putting it together. Well, one commentator said this, as did his disciples, we, meaning us, share great blessings through the permanent indwelling of the Spirit, whom we received the moment we believed in Jesus. The Spirit is the complete and perfect helper. He frees us from trying to live the Christian life in our own power. The gospel is not do more and try harder. Rather, it is see Jesus and surrender to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit constantly draws attention to Jesus, nestling the gospel into our heart and applying the finished work 
of Jesus to our lives. Now, if you have your Bibles out still, look at verse 13. 16, 13. It says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. So this is awesome. A huge role of the Spirit in our lives is to remind us the truths of Jesus. His huge primary job is to remind us what we know to be true already about Jesus by speaking to us so that we can live in obedience. And take a moment and try to put yourself in the shoes of his disciples, right? This is a rough night. He's about to die. He's saying some hard things to his closest friends. If you look at verse 2, he's saying, The world will put you out of the synagogue, kind of their place of worship. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. So imagine Jesus telling you, hey, this world is evil. There's a lot of people out there that don't know me. They don't know the Father. And they're coming for you. They're going to kick you out of where you worship. They're going to kick you out in our setting of Wellspring. And on top of that, some of them are going to kill you. You, you are going to die. And we know for certain His words proved to be true because 10 of the 12 disciples were killed because of their faith. 10 of them were murdered because of their obedience to Christ. And in the midst of delivering this heavy, painful news, what does Jesus turn his attention to next? What does he start talking about to comfort them? He turns his attention to the Holy Spirit as their helper, as the one he's going to send to encourage them, to guide them while he goes and returns to the Father. Because he knew that the Spirit was the greatest gift that we could have ever asked for and that he could have ever given us as his people. And this is kind of crazy to think about. But we actually have the better end of the bargain than believers throughout history prior to the coming of the Spirit. Check this out. I was talking with My buddy Trevor Stanton. Are you here, Trevor? I don't know if he's here. We were talking this past week. We were reading the Bible together, and he was recalling a sermon that he heard, and I've heard other people talk about this. I don't know who preached it. But the guy, the pastor, was talking about how a lot of Christians he speaks with, you know, they say, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet some of these giants of the faith, some of these pillars of the faith, right? I can't wait to get to heaven and find Noah and flag him down and say, dude, tell me about that ark, like... How were you chosen? How did you do that? What was that like to experience that, to be the chosen guy and family? Or we're going to, you know, they want to flag down Moses. Dude, tell me about parting the Red Sea. What in the world was that like? And this guy, this pastor said, you know what? He said, we might approach them and ask, and they're just going to say, they're going to look at us and say, don't worry about that. That's nothing. Here's what we want to know. What was it like? To have Jesus Christ live inside of you through his spirit. What was it like every day of your life to have the spirit of God teaching you and reminding you the truths of Jesus? That is what we want to know. Forget that other stuff. That is the question. They didn't have that like we do. Consider this for a moment. If a friend approached you and asked you to explain the Holy Spirit's work in your life, 
How would you respond? If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, this obviously doesn't apply to you. (laughs) What examples would you give them? I'm going to be that friend and propose that question to you guys, and I'd love to hear just one example from at least a few of you on what that looks like. So how does the Holy Spirit move and work in your life? How does he guide you, comfort you, or speak to you? I hope at least a couple people here are living in the Spirit. If not, this is going to be really awkward, and we've got some serious problems here at Wellspring. So what does that look like personally for the Holy Spirit to move and work in your life? The floor is open. Somebody's trying to communicate. What do you guys think? Sure, yeah. She says a lot of times when she prays, God kind of reveals the answer to her. Absolutely. That's through the Spirit. Yes, Chris. For me, it's uh, like I have a little bit of anxiety. Anytime that flares up, and it's not every time, but I'll pray, and I just, it's almost like that instantaneous comfort. Mm. And it's nothing I can read or explain. It's like, you know, because sometimes it'll happen, and I'll be like, ah, I'm still just caught up in my head. And then there's those times where I do it, and it's, I'm like, ah, it's like 10 times off the Wow. He's saying that he battles with anxiety, and that oftentimes the second he starts praying, it's just like instant peace and comfort that can only come from God. Good. What else? The Holy Spirit talks to me in my own voice, and it comforts me in all times of challenge and fear, and it comes over me, and I can feel it at times. Even though it's always with me, there's times that it's stronger with me, and it comforts me in my own voice and talks to me me and lets me know that what I'm doing is God's will for me. Good. And it uh, helps me to pursue what I'm afraid of going into hmm. and sharing his word, whatever I face and wherever I go. Good. He's saying the, oftentimes in his, when he's fearful or when he feels extremely challenged, the spirit comforts him and gives him the strength to enter in to the things that maybe he's afraid of. Yes. That is awesome. So he said a couple years ago he had no desire to adopt a child, let alone two. And now he's a father of two children from Thailand. So the Holy Spirit can change our heart, absolutely. Anything else? This is excellent. So five people listen to the Spirit. Okay. I don't think we're doing our job, Bob. <laughs> For me, it's just it just convicts me of sin. I mean, you know, if, if I have any question about whether what I'm doing is touch with him and praying and asking for God to reveal like he'll he'll let me know sure a sinful spirit attitude perspective in my heart sure he says the spirit convicts him of sin lets him know man that's not the right attitude that's not the right way to approach that good excellent one of the ways the spirit moves in my lives is kind of some of you said is just by gently speaking to my spirit and just reminding me what I already know is true about Jesus. Like, I have no doubt when I was letting my dogs outside to go to the bathroom this week, staring at a tree, that was the Spirit saying, you don't need to be afraid to talk about me. My people need to hear who I am and what I do. Do not feel uneasy. Have peace. 
going into this. Another way the Spirit moves in my life is Bob stole it. He convinced that he convicts me of sin before I even sin. Before I lash out in anger with my words, or before I perform an act of disobedience, whatever that might be, he is whispering in my heart saying, I have something better for you. Justin, you did that last week, and that didn't turn out so well. That hurt your wife. That hurt your buddy, whatever it might be. It's not a matter of if he is speaking to me. It's a matter of if I'm willing to listen and respond. Think about this for a moment. Consider how in many ways the Christian life is a balance of the information and the experiential. It's a balance of information and experience. Right here in this book, we have tons of information, don't we? Thousands of words and sentences that teach us about the character and the heart of God. Hundreds of stories from real life people that show us how to live and how not to live. Learning from their mistakes. Thousands of truths and informations in here about God's love and hope and redemption and peace and on and on. But just knowing this is not enough, is it? You can have every word in this book memorized. It doesn't mean you're living it out or experiencing it in any way. And then there's this experiential aspect of the Christian faith. It's one thing to know about forgiveness. It's another thing to experience forgiveness from someone that you've wronged. It's one thing to know about forgiveness. It's quite another to forgive someone who's deeply hurt you. It's one thing to know about the command of God to tithe and to give away a portion of our income. It's quite another thing to write that check every week or every month and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. This is stretching me, but you know what? I realize that nothing I have is mine anyway, so it's all yours. It's one thing to know about it. It's a completely different thing to do it. Most of us here are often drawn to one more than the other. I think a lot of us lean towards the informational side. We think we just need to know more about God, or I just need to know more about the Bible. I need to study theology more, and then I'll be able to live the Christian faith. Or maybe some, some people, I can be like this at times, we, we neglect the truth. We neglect learning this stuff. We're just, I just want to experience I just want to love people. So I don't really care if I'm grounded or rooted in what I know or believe. I just want to love people. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But to have a full experience of the Christian life, we've got to have both. The information, the truth, and the experience. Having a list of God's truth is good and helpful, but it's the experience that shows me those things are true. It's the experience that shows me those things are true. And it's the truth that shows me those things are possible. It is a truth that shows me those things are possible. Many people can rattle off truths about Jesus. A lot of people can grasp the informational side. We can read a passage about Jesus and God's love and for the most part have an understanding of it and understand how we're supposed to live, how we're not supposed to live. But living that out is almost always the big hurdle, isn't it? Actually living out what we know to be true. Living out the Jesus way is where most of us get stuck because it gets too hard. 
it stretches us too much out of our comfort zone, or it makes us consider we're not sure whether or not following Jesus is actually worth the risk of what we have to sacrifice. So why did God set it up this way? What are we supposed to learn from this need to experience God in our everyday lives? To experience him in our marriage, in our child raising, in the way that we handle our time, our money, the way that we handle our emotions, whatever it might be. God set it up this way because it forces us to be uncomfortable. He made it this way because it teaches us that we can't do it alone. We desperately need help. We need a helper. We need an advocate fighting for us, being our champion. And that is why Christ sent us his spirit. That is why he gave us the greatest gift that he could have ever possibly given us as his children. Look at what Jesus said in the book of Luke. Should be a slide good. It says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Keep that up there for a minute. Our Heavenly Father desires to give us more of the Spirit. Imagine what could happen if you daily prayed and asked God to fill you with more of His Spirit. We know what a life filled with the Spirit would look like. Bob talked about it last week. I think it was last week. That life would produce spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit in the form of love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's not usually easy to be patient with others when they're rubbing us wrong. Or to be gentle with others. Or to show self-control. Or to love people or forgive people who have wronged you. But it's through the Spirit that we receive the strength to actually live out these attributes and these qualities. So if those aren't evident in your life, when people look at your life and they can't say with confidence, man, that's a life marked by love, the love of God and peace and self-control and joy, then that's probably an indicator that you're not living in the Spirit, walking in line with the Spirit. You're not listening to the gentle voice as He speaks to you, as He speaks to us throughout the day, constantly reminding us, The truths of Christ's love. You're not tapping into the gift that we have been given as his followers. And so as we come to the communion table today, here in a few minutes, that's what I want you guys to consider. Whether or not you are tapping into this gift that he has given us. Because I don't think most of us really understand it. Really understand that God himself lives inside of us. And that we are no longer slaves to the sin that has held you in prison for years. We do not have to be a slave to those things. We are free in Christ. So consider that. Think about, are you tapping into this? You know the truths about Jesus. Many of you do. Are you allowing the Spirit to live through you? And to experience them yourself. Are you listening to his voice as he speaks to you throughout the day? 
Are you too distracted to even notice? So wherever you are in your faith, we're going to have just a time of silence. Just use this time to reflect on that. And just think about the life that Christ lived and consider whether or not your life that you're living right now is worthy of the one that he gave, gave himself up for. I'm going to pray for us and then after some silence, the ushers will come dismiss you. Um, you can just come forward, take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And there's also a um, gluten-free option if you need that as well. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand what we have in you through your spirit, that you actually reside within us as your people, as your followers, as your friends, God. God, help us to believe it and live into it, God, and quit trying to live on our own and thinking that we can just do the right things, read more, pray more, and that it's going to work out, God. We don't have the strength. Jesus, we need your help so desperately. You've given that to us through your spirit. God, help us to listen every day as you just gently speak to our minds and our hearts. I think a lot of times we just look for some huge miracle or we just want something epic to happen. And it's often it's just that small voice, just that gentle tugging of our hearts. And we just miss it, God, and we don't want to miss it anymore. God, we know you have so much to teach us. God, help us to be aware of it, Lord. So whatever... Each person here is just struggling with or dealing with God. Just thinking about the role that they allow the Spirit to play. God, I pray that you would guide us and convict us if necessary. And just lead us into truth.